as ladies on a Saturday morning. I know how difficult it is to carve out time for yourselves um, in our busy lives with whatever your life entails. So I do really appreciate it. And um, thank you to my amazing team who've got this hall ready to look like it is today. Thank you. Let's give them a hand. I just loved the idea um, of this, just around a little table, all of us congregated together. So thank you very much. Um, I just wanted to start um, by just chatting a little bit about um, the fact that we are going to be having some ladies' meetings this year, which I know is wonderful. And, and then I wanted to know um, if anybody's done an eye group, a ladies' eye group, would you mind standing for a bit? Just if you've done an eye group at Glenridge before, won't you stand? Okay, there's quite a lot of ladies who've done an eye group. For those of you who are not standing, won't you look around? So Glenridge has had eye groups for a number of years. You can take a seat, those that are standing. Has done eye groups for a number of years. Um, we haven't actually sort of put it up on slides from the front. It's more been done um, sort of by word of mouth and groups have gathered. But if you would like to belong to an I-group this year or do an I-group, um, can I really encourage you, any one of those ladies that stood, can I encourage you to go and hear a testimony from one of them as to what I-group has meant to them, um, how it has changed their lives, um, the amazing people that they have met. I think I-groups has been um, one of the most incredible opportunities to build community in this church. Um, for the men and the women in this church. So we will be doing eye groups this year. Glenda and Linda are part of the core team. They're sitting at the back table there. They're waving. Um, and they, um, if you want to be part of an eye group or you just want to find out more information about it, um, you're welcome to go and put your name down. Um, we will be starting to put up some slides um, at church over the next few weeks. Um, if you are interested in being part of it, it usually runs for about six to eight weeks, consecutive weeks. It is a commitment because everybody in the group gets to share their story. Um, so it is a commitment and we ask people to be committed because it's not really fair for you to tell your story and then you're like, oh, sorry, I can't be there for a week or two when the other people are being vulnerable sharing their story. So you do need to be committed. Um, we have different times of eye groups where people, um, obviously, the men generally run their eye groups very early in the morning. If any of you have had husbands who are part of eye groups, they leave at five and they're off because they do it before work. Generally, it doesn't really work that time for women. Funny that. We're trying to get the families ready for school and go off to work ourselves. So um, we have our groups running at different times. Some people do it in the morning um, for those that are possibly not working or are at home with children. We, some people have done it on a Sunday afternoon um, here at church, after church. Some people do it in the evenings. So we do have different times. So um, when you put your name down, maybe you can also write when it would suit you. But even if you just want more information about it, by putting your name down doesn't mean you're committing to one. If you just like more information, pop your name down and we'll get back to you about an iGroup. I just really thought this was a good opportunity to get the word out there about iGroups. So who are we called to be? Um, I have this next slide that you'll see. I've had this picture on my camera roll. I absolutely love this picture. Anybody who lives in Durban might have seen this become. 
As you come down Goebel Road, I don't know what it's called now, Jan lived on that road, whatever that road is called now. As you come down, it's, been, it's on that little substation, I think it's a substation, it's been written on there, I mean it's been painted on there, and I'm amazed that it hasn't been painted over, or rubbed out or whatever. Somebody obviously keeps touching it up. And I actually retook the photo the other day because the one I had on my camera wasn't that great. But I've had it on my camera roll since 2019, because I love it, and I thought, I'm going to preach about it one day, so today's the day. And um, the reason I love it so much is because God spoke to me about it. And the thing that he spoke to me about it is that he reminded me about two things. He reminded me that when I'm in the presence of God, I just need to be. I need to be who he created me to be. Not who I sometimes get squashed by other people in a box to be. Who God created me to be. Not who you want me to be. Not who Stan wants me to be. Not who my children want me to be. And sometimes not even who I want me to be. But who does God want me to be? And then the come reminds me that he always calls me to come to him. And he calls me to come into his presence and be with him. It is his greatest desire and it should be my greatest desire to come into his presence. But then it also reminds me that that is not enough. It's not, I cannot be satisfied to remain in that space. It is my responsibility to become all that he has called me to be. And all that he has spoken over are the lives of us as women in this community. So the list for 2023 is long of the things that I believe God has called us to be as women. But I felt that he highlighted some things specifically that I felt that we could journey today on. I feel he has called us to be brave this year. He has called us to be strong. He has called us to be wise. He has called us to be radiant. He has called us to be leaders. He has called us to be teachers. And he's called us to be diggers. So come along with me on this journey as we unpack some of those things. So, okay. When you see the next slide, I don't want you to start throwing things at me. When you read, barefoot and pregnant, Taryn's already throwing things at me. Definitely not the food. <laughs> so let me explain. In the 1900s, certain men believed that women belonged in the home. And if you kept them pregnant, then in theory, they wouldn't need to leave the home, so they actually didn't need shoes. Um, and then obviously the feminist movement caught on to this and it became a hate slogan, barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. And um, 
women subconsciously attached onto that and supported each other and actually rebelled against all ideas of homemaking as it came to be. And I'd like to suggest today that God can redeem that statement for us. And let me tell you how. I believe for us as Africans, we can understand barefoot very beautifully. And I'm going to tell you a couple of stories that really resonate with a lot of us here today. So the first story is a wee friend story. Not sure if it's still the case. But when my children went to wee friends, for those of you who don't know, that's a beautiful preschool that is part of Glenridge. Very early on, when they arrived at school, there were little cubbies. Um, I think they're now in their own classroom, but initially they were in the entrance where the children walked into. And they would put their little um, rucksacks in the cubbies and they would take their shoes off and put them in the cubbies. And very early on, we got a little note in the book that said, please don't bother sending shoes to school with your children because they never wear them. And they would get lost because the children just ran around there barefoot. So you just learned very early on, don't bother sending shoes to school with your children. And if any of you have seen on a Sunday, I mean, Glenridge has been here, I mean, Matthew and Josh are 24 this year, so 23 years now. These carpets have been here for a long time. Any of you who look at your children's feet when you go home on a Sunday, they are black. (laughs) From running around and dancing in freedom, the children that dance on the front of this church on a Sunday, there is freedom in being barefoot in the way that they dance on a Sunday. My friend Jo, she moved, some of you know her, she moved overseas and she met her husband there and had her two sons there. She tells a funny story. They came out here on holiday, they were having a braai with their South African friends And any of you who've lived overseas, you know that you have to wear shoes. It's freezing cold there. I mean, you know, you have to put your children in shoes, not like here. And there were her two little toddler boys. um, And obviously they had their shoes off. It was summer and they were... And they didn't know how to walk on the grass because they had never grown up without shoes on. And when she saw her boys sort of tentatively trying to walk on the grass while all her South African friends' children were running around like mad things on the grass, she turned to her husband and said, that's it, we're coming back. I'm not raising my sons who don't know how to run around on the grass. So, and then even just a final funny story, on Thursday we, had a, we were very privileged to host the pastors' meeting here for NCMI. And Tyler Page's dad preached, and um, he's a farmer, and um, he walked up to the front, and he kicked his shoes off, and he started preaching in his jeans and his shirt, and he was barefoot. And I just smiled to myself, and I thought, oh, thank you, Lord. It's going to help my point on Saturday. And I just thought, here we understand what it means to be barefoot. It means we are grounded. We are in touch with the earth. I believe as women, in many of our societies, barefoot doesn't mean for us necessarily poverty. 
It means walking, understanding the communities that we're part of. Walking with our feet on the ground, grounded in touch with the community that you're part of. And that's why I feel like, for me, it signifies being grounded as women in our communities and freedom. That's what I want to redeem by the barefoot part of that statement. And then for those of us who have had the privilege of having a children naturally by birth within us, it is a privilege. It's an extreme privilege. And even the culture and the world is trying to take that away from us. I mean, they're talking about men giving birth. I mean, my gosh, isn't that going to be hilarious if that ever happens? But um, science is going to try and go there. That's not what I'm talking about today. I'm not talking about giving birth to natural children. I'm talking about the incredible gift of us as women. I believe God is calling us to carry seed in every form, no matter how old you are. So that pregnant belly is a symbol of us, no matter how old you are, being seed bearers. I believe we are called to carry seed of ideas in our homes, in our workplaces, in our churches, in our families. What are you carrying for the Lord at the moment? What seed has he put in your heart? And are you being faithful with it? What are you giving birth to for him? And finally, the point of the home, the kitchen. How many of you know that whenever people come to your home, they seem to congregate in the kitchen, and it's not always the biggest room in the house. You're like, well, should we go and sit in the lounge? No, everybody's squished into the little kitchen. Kitchen can often be the heart of the home. It's part of why I wanted us to sit like this around the table. You know we've done a beautiful series about the table. The table is the heart of this community. I want to encourage you and remind you. What have you got in your hand? I wanted to share a testimony. I didn't ask her, but I'm sure she won't mind. What have you got in your hand? There's a beautiful lady in this community who... They're not running a home group at the moment, but they have a home. So her and her husband said, we can open our home. And they opened their home to a young adult's home group. And it has, I know from her testimony, it has brought incredible joy and life to them. And it surprised them. They didn't think it would but it has brought life to them because she said, we've got a home. We're not running a home group now, but we've got a home. And I wanted to encourage you. We've said so many times, it doesn't matter what's on the table, it's who's around the table. Don't worry what your table looks like or what your plate, whether your plates match or whether you've got enough plates. Paper plates are fine. It doesn't have to be fancy. I've told you that story, how it crippled me for so long. Because I had to have the right plates, the right everything, make sure the meal was going to be perfect. It's not about that. It's about having people in your home. 
and sharing your hearts with those people. And ladies, it's our responsibility. When did you last have people around your table? For coffee. It doesn't have to be a meal if you can't afford a meal. It's for coffee and a biscuit. That's all it is. It doesn't have to be for long. I know our lives are busy. I know we have very busy schedules. Everybody's pulling us 50 million ways. Just invite someone for a cool drink after church on a Sunday. And they can go home before lunch if you haven't got lunch. Open your homes because they want to be, share your life. That's what you're wanting to do. So I think we can redeem that statement. We can be proudly barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen because we don't have to worry about what the world says because we're carrying things for Jesus and it's not about what they say. It's about who we know we are. We are free women who carry things for Jesus and we're going to invite people into our story and make your circle bigger. If you always have the same people in your home, just invite one more. You'll be amazed how God pitches and you have an incredible time with, the, with Jesus. This next point is one of my favorites. Anyone who knows me knows I love talking about the next generation. It's my heart thinking about passing things on as they go down to the next generation. And if you look around at the world, people are not supporting each other. People are trying to pull each other down. I think we have to be different in the church, particularly women. I think it's our responsibility to support each other, to cheer each other on, to stand with each other. The greatest killer in the world is comparison. Tell me about that social media. Hmm, it's terrible. They've got a better house, a better car, better body, better everything, better boyfriend. Let me tell you, do you see them posting any pictures that don't look perfect? Hmm, bet you they don't. Bet you their life doesn't all look like that. Comparison is the greatest killer. And unfortunately, it's no better in the church. But God says, we are all created uniquely. And he needs the whole body. It's not going to help me. It's not going to help me if I spend all my time wishing I could sing like Jade. It's not going to help me. I can't sing. Ask my children. Ask my family. I wish I could I've tried my whole life to sing and my family still say, Mom, please don't sing. It's going to cripple me if I spend my whole life praying and asking God and crying and saying, why can't I? Why didn't you? It's going to waste my time. But there are things that I can do. So my responsibility is to hone those gifts. Ask God, what has he given you? What is in your hand? If I spend my life comparing myself to the beautiful gifts and flowers that God has put in my community, it will cripple me. And the body will not work properly. 
But I can cheer Jade on when she writes a song. And I can celebrate when you do something amazing. Because that's my job. And then we can treasure relationships. I love the fact that when you look around this room, there are people from all different age groups, all different cultures in this room. That is the incredible gift that our community has. There are young teenagers, young adults. <coughs> young adults, singles, married, divorced, middle age, older, widowers, anyone else I've left out. Remember to be teachable. Remember we can learn from anybody. And who are you, my challenge today is, who are you discipling in your life? Do you have somebody who you're walking alongside with? Somebody maybe younger than you, somebody maybe older than you. Who are you walking with in your life? Even in the community that you might be serving in, the group you might be serving in. Is there a variety of people in the groups that you're part of? There are incredible treasures in this community. Make sure you're not missing out on them because that's how we pass on the baton. That's the incredible gift we get in this community. Don't be so worried about comparing yourself with somebody else that you miss out the opportunity to learn from somebody else. Ask somebody for help if you don't know how. I was talking about the home thing. There are amazing homemakers in this church. If you don't know how to do it, ask somebody you know who's really good at it. And say, I'm wanting to have some people for dinner. I know you're really good at it. Can you come that night and help me? They would love to do that. And they'll show you it's not that difficult. It's easy. People love to be included. And people love, love it when you ask for help. But we're too proud. We think, oh, they're going to think this of me. No, they're not. They're also asking. They also want to ask for help. We always teach our kids, it's okay, you can ask questions to the extent that Cameron's teachers give him a limit. Cameron, you're only allowed to ask three questions this lesson. Stan says, it's fine, boy, just keep asking questions. But you know what I'm trying to say. Don't be too scared to ask questions. It's good. People won't be laughing at you. My next point is I think part of the reason that we compare ourselves with others is because of a mistaken identity. And we don't really understand who we are in Christ. And I think, I really feel like it's part of our responsibility to get whole and healed. And you owe it to yourself, you owe it to your family, to your friends, and to your community. Ange Watson did such a beautiful devotion this week where she spoke about the crippled man who was sitting next to the pool. And Jesus said to him, do you want to be healed? And you remember when, we've, when you've heard that preached, it's, we, we think, what a silly question. I mean, he's sitting by the pool for 38 years. And, and only when the pool gets rippled, that um, stirred, can you jump in, can you get in and get healed? And you think, well, of course he wants to be healed. 
But friends, how long have you been sitting with the wound inside your heart? Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe there's something else. Maybe there's some sin in your life and you're carrying it around with you. Why are you not getting into the pool? Obviously, I'm not talking about the pool, but why are you not getting healed? There's actually, now is the opportunity in 2023, there are no more excuses. You are surrounded in this community by amazing ladies who are going to help you get healed and whole. And it is your responsibility to get healed and whole. That was from Ephesians 4 verse 1. It says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Because God has a plan and a calling over your life. And instead of walking into that, you're sitting by the pool, wasting your time. And everybody else possibly can see it but you're just sitting there instead of walking in the things that God has for you. So come and speak to somebody and let them help you journey to healing because God has got an amazing calling over your lives. And then I've written their calling and assignment. So the heading for this was reading the seasons. I think it's important in women's lives, I was just chatting to somebody at the beginning of when we were waiting to get our coffees. I think women's, it's very, this reading the seasons of lives, I think for us, the seasons of our lives change much more than men. Maybe men would say they don't, but I'm telling you they do. <laughs> I've been through lots of different seasons in my life, and I, I know Compared to some of the ladies here, you might say, oh yeah, you're young and you probably haven't seen half the seasons that you have seen. But I have seen some seasons in my life. um, And I do. I believe women in our lives, our seasons change a lot. And I think it's helpful for us to know how to read those different seasons and not get frustrated with the change. Because if we get frustrated with the change of those seasons, we don't embrace the different seasons. And then we, get, we don't enjoy the different seasons. So I'll just give you a little example. Um, when you're at university and you're studying, you think you are the most hard-done person in the world. You've got no time. It's so exhausting, you are studying, it's just, you know, you've got no enough hours, it's so, you know, you, nobody understands, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And um, I'm just telling you that because um, obviously Matthew has been working now for, or he's in his second year, and he studied a difficult degree, so it was hard, it was lots of hours, he was up all night, it was tough. I mean, I'm not saying it wasn't, it was tough. And... Um, And then he started working and he was like, gee, mom, it's totally different when you're working. I'd be like, yeah, I remember those days you told me I didn't understand when you were studying. It's like, yeah, I know, you thought you had no time when you were studying. Gee, you had so much time. I said, yeah, now you're working and you've got a hundred of other things pulling at your time. And then you get married and you think, oh, it's going to be so nice, we're going to have so much time. 
No, now you're sharing your time with somebody else. You've got to share your time together. Then you have a child. Ooh, now your time is kind of split. And then you move on to something else and you're getting involved in church and you're serving and you're just life is full. And then you own your own business and then and then and then and then you can fill in all the different blanks. Life is busy and um, I was laughing telling somebody, you know, just when you think I found how I have my quiet time with the Lord, this is it. I know how I'm going to do it. It works perfectly. I've, this is my moment. This is how I do it. And then something happens, and you can't do that anymore because all of a sudden, whatever it might be, you move and you can't, and you're now traveling a different place, and you are thrown. No, 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 this is not right. I used to do it like that. Now I'm thrown, and ladies, if we get thrown, and we don't adapt, and we don't become, you know, flexible and think, okay, no, we need to realize we need to be women who can read the seasons, Remember when David was putting his band together and it said he, men came from all different places to add to his tribe and it said there were men that came who could read the seasons. I think this is what it was about. They could be adaptable at the right time. They could change. Remember it says they could, they could wield a weapon with their left and their right hand. I thought, oh wow, that must be quite a skill. They must have had to use the left and right hand at different times. So I think I want to just urge you today, make sure you're adaptable and flexible with the Lord. Okay, Lord, I used to do it that way. Mm, Can't do it that way anymore. Things have changed. My work's moved a little bit further away. Now I'm in the car for a bit longer. Okay, maybe I'm going to have to adjust. This is the time that I spend with you. I'm driving a little bit further or... Oh, now there's someone else in my life. Oh, I'm going to have to adjust things a little bit. Now I'm going to have to do it this way. Whatever it is, don't be so fixed in your way that you can't adjust. Let's be women who can read the seasons with the Lord and adapt and adjust. So the difference between your calling and your assignment. I think we've spoken about this before, but I'm just going to highlight it again. Your calling stays the same, even through the different seasons in your life. Your assignment can change. So your calling is something that you can ask your friends. We did a, I can't remember how, where it was we, we did it, but they say that your calling is something you should probably be able to write down or address in maybe five words. So if you're married, you could possibly ask your husbands. If you're not married, ask your friends or your home group leaders or somebody who's close to you. Ask them what they think the calling is on your life. You'll be interested to hear what they say. The assignment, that's what I'm talking about, being flexible, it can change. So... I'll just tell you a little bit about my life. I was, um, I've always been a leader, always, since I was a little girl, a little bit bossy, my report, from grade one to grade 12. She talks too much and she's a little bit bossy. That's what it said. 
which obviously helped me in good stead. I was head girl at my school, and I've always been a leader, so it helped me. I could talk a lot, um, and I could lead, and so it helped me. I've always led in everything that I've done, and um, yeah, so I think even before, um, even before I was a mother, um, in the natural sense, I've mothered people. My mother says, I can sit on an aeroplane and I've got written above my head, tell me your life story. <laughs> Even the stranger next to me by the end of the trip is pouring out their life story to me. I have a mothering heart over me. I remember being, shame, Sheena's not here today, I was, thought she was going to be here, I was going to laugh and tell her the story. When I had um, no children, so I was very young, I thought. I was married. I think I was like 20, I don't know, I can't even remember how old I was, maybe 27, 28. I was just before I had met. I remember a young girl came to me in the church and she said to me, um, I was wondering if I could have some time with you. Um, I just wanted to meet with one of the older ladies in the church. I was shocked. I really was offended. And I straight out of my mouth, I said to her, why do you want to meet with me? Meet with Sheena or Anna? I literally came out of my mouth. Very ungracious. And, and then I realized, oh my gosh, of course I'm married. She must think, my gosh, she must be so old. I mean, I can't even remember how old she was. But I realized that wasn't, obviously, it was this mothering thing, you know, in my life. So whether I have been working, um, so I worked before, I had my own business, um, and then I um, taught swimming lessons, I don't know if you knew that, and then I had my own business, PR and marketing, then I had swimming lessons, and then I even worked in a school, and I loved that, as, as you all know, and then obviously working here at the Church with Stan. So I've always had this mothering sort of thing over me before I was even a mom. So when we were doing this little testing thing type of thing um, as to my calling and whatever, I'm trying to explain to you that my assignment has changed over my life. You can see I haven't always been leading a church with Stan. I've been doing lots of different things over my life. Um, so this, this is, I'll just tell you what mine is. It might help you as you're starting to, because this is homework for you ladies. You're all going to go home and you're going to write down your callings, okay? Or you're going to come and ask one of us to help you afterwards. So this is mine. Yeah, very bossy, hey? Can you see I'm bossing you all around already? This is mine. A leading mother raising and releasing women into freedom. That's mine. I've been doing that even before I was a mom. Because I'm real, you know, I don't hide anything. I'm very real. I tell you what it's like. I tell you if we have a fight, I tell you that parenting is the hardest thing in the world. Yes, Natalie, I hope you're listening to me. And, um, but that's, I know that, but I have known that even when I was in the school, that's what I do. If you ask people who worked with me in the school, that's what I was doing. When I was having my own business, that's what I was doing. So it it, but it's helpful to know that. Because sometimes when, when I was in the mom's room, initially it was very hard for me. I didn't want to be in there with Matthew. 
I wanted to be here ministering. I didn't want to be in there. Actually, it was my sister-in-law who helped me. She said, Heather, you know what an incredible place that is. It's very vulnerable for those moms who've just had a baby. They need you. You can minister radically in there. I was like, oh, yes, I can. I can be a mom. I can help them. They're feeling vulnerable. They're being judged. They do. I can help them in there. And I realized, oh, actually my assignment's just different. While I've got my baby, I can be in there. My calling was the same. My assignment was different. Maybe some of you are not exactly where you want to be right now. Maybe your assignment is a bit different, looks different. Ask God, okay, Lord, how am I using the calling you've got over my life right now? And he will show you how he will use you in the space that he's put you. Okay. But the only way we can remain secure in our identity is if we remain at the well. In Job 14 verse 9, it says that even if a tree is cut down, there is hope because at the scent of water it will sprout. I love that. Sometimes when we're feeling very dry, it's okay. Even at the scent of water, there is hope. We had that privilege of going to Israel and in Nazareth they have a a depiction of what a traditional village would look like. And the well is always the center of the village. And it's a picture for me. I honestly believe the woman is often the center of the home or even in your workplace. Women are like the center. People come and they draw from you. You will have seen that. They pull out of you. They draw from you as the believers in the place that you are at. And if your well is not full, you are going to run dry very quickly. You have to remain connected to the source. That is my encouragement for you today. One of my favorite authors, she says, it is so much easier to get water from a cup that overflows than from a well that runs dry. Our responsibility is to make sure that our wells are overflowing because I know that people are tapping into your wells wherever you are. And that's not their responsibility. Their thing is they're going to come to that well. I know they are. They're coming to your well all the time. You can't be saying, well, sorry, I've got no water. Your responsibility is to tap into that source and make sure your well is full, full all the time. So that's why I said we're called to be diggers because our responsibility is to dig our well deep. I've got another beautiful story for you. For those of you who've been around the block a bit, we used to go up to Blum for our conference once a year with New Covenant Ministries and um, we were 
was years ago, we were, I think, I don't know if we were running a home group, we might have been in Paul and Beth's home group, but we used to offer people lifts. And um, Nigel and Melita Day-Lewis had planted a church in London, and um, we put our names down with the front office, and we said, we can take someone up. And Stan said, oh, they phoned us and said, you know, we're going to take someone. We're taking Nigel and Melita. And I was like, oh, no. This is true story, me. I said, no. Why are we taking them? He is this hectic intellectual. Stan was so excited. Can you imagine? He was like, he was so excited. I was devastated. I was like, no, she is like this fairy. How am I going to connect with her? I can't know, babe. Can't we get somebody else, please? He was so, he was so excited. And I thought, oh, no, Nigel color codes his veggie rack. I'm thinking, oh, no, this is not I was dreading it, dreading the journey. Anyway, day comes. I'm like thinking, oh, this is going to be the longest trip of my life. Anyway, turns out Nigel becomes like a lunatic in the car. Every petrol station you stop at, he goes mad for the South African sweets, which is just like me. So it was amazing. He became my best friend. Him and I were like in the stall. It was amazing. Anyway, it became the highlight. I can't even remember what happened at that time. The trip was actually the highlight. But that's not part of my story. That's just a funny part of the story. But the part of the story I wanted to tell you about, so now they'd gone and planted this church. And, you know, we were going to go and plant a church. So, of course, we wanted all the nuggets they could give us. So I was like, so Melita, I was sitting in the back with her. I was like, so Melita, tell me the nuggets. Tell me what advice are you going to give us? Like what, tell me. So she said, um, okay, my number one advice. Make sure you are digging your wells deep in the safe country. And it has stuck with me my whole life since then. And I've tried to teach my children as well. Because none of us know this is incredibly safe country. You are surrounded by incredibly amazing people in this community. And we don't know how long God's going to keep us here. But one day, we might not be here. I spoke to Nigel and Haley last night. It's hard out there. And we need to be making sure, while we're in the safe country, we are digging our wells deep. And that's what she said. She said, make sure, while you're in Glenridge, you're digging your wells deep. Because you're going to have to draw on it when you're out there. So that is my digging story that I want to encourage you with. And my last slide is from this beautiful Psalm 34. And it says, Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces are never covered with shame. Ladies, we all have a story to tell. Ask any of those ladies who've done an eye group. We've all got a story to tell. We all have a past. Some of us have a difficult past. Some of us have a tragic past. Some of us have a beautiful past. 
but it's what makes us all unique. It's what makes us the beautiful, radiant community of Glenridge Church. And it is what is going to attract the broken and bruised that are looking for a family, that are looking for a future, and that are what are looking for Jesus. And if we are remember that we are seated at a table with our Lord, and if we remember to keep our eyes fixed on him, our faces will be radiant, and we will not be covered with shame, and we will become all that he has called us to be. Thank you. So one of the beautiful ladies in our community has had to learn to be brave over a season of her life. So Melindy is going to come and share a little bit of her story with you. Um, and then we might just have a little moment of uh, ministry if there's just anybody wants um, some time of prayer afterwards. So Melinda's. Hello, everybody. So as Heather said, my name is Melindy, for those that don't know me. I'm a mom of three children, oldest being 12, turning 13 this year, and then the youngest is nine. Then I've got my challenging 10-year-old. Beautiful, she is like me, she challenges me. I was just telling Glenda. Thank you so much, Heather. Thank you for just yeah, sharing. I'm so encouraged. Um, yeah, can we just honor Heather? We love you, Heather. <laughs> I've been to a lot of churches in my time, <laughs> but this coming here and yeah, I've just felt you're selfless, you're real, you're authentic, and it just makes it easy just to talk to you. That's why you have that tell me your story. So yeah, we honor you and yeah, we thank you, Heather. Thank you for today as well. Yeah, so in January, I think it was on the 26th of Jan, I might have the dates wrong, 2021, um, I felt God give me this word, hashtag brave. And um, I remember putting it up on Instagram where I had my daughter, we were at um, Lake Eland and they've got this huge suspension bridge that goes across this gorge and she didn't want to go across because she was really scared and I encouraged her and we gradually went across this bridge and after she'd gone across it was like mom, mom I can do this and she was just up and down, up and down this massive bridge well, this bridge with this massive gorge. And I just remember God saying, brave. Not knowing what's coming, not knowing what the year looked like. And I took that word and I said, okay, Lord, it's a season for being brave. Fast forward a few months later, in September, I get diagnosed with colorectal cancer. Yes, the word cancer. And I'm thinking, Lord, 
I'm 39. How can I have, how can this be? I mean, can't be. I'm 39. And I don't even know my family history. You know, I've never heard of anyone in the family um, say they've had cancer. And at that point, I honestly felt that the world was, this is it. You know, I've got small kids and Lord, what is going on? And God reminded me and said, it is a season to be brave. I love that picture that Heather has done up on the slide. Those are my favorite shoes. So this is a photo that I'd taken at the beach. Um, I used to love every morning when I can, after dropping off the kids at school, take a walk at the beach with my Bible, and I would sit there and read. This was just my year in 2021. I wanted to wear these shoes today, but they are so worn out <laughs> from overwearing that I couldn't. And the reason why I took that picture with the word and the shoes, because the other thing I felt God say to me after hearing that, okay, you're going to now have to go through a treatment plan, hearing God saying, you're going to have to stand. So, some of you know me. I literally have like three or four pairs of shoes. And my shoes, honestly, I choose my shoes first before my outfits. I know it sounds weird. Whenever I'm going to wear something, the first thing is what shoe am I wearing? And then the outfit comes after. So generally, my outfits will go with all my shoes. Why am I talking so much about shoes? Okay, I just want to read um, the scripture that I really stood on. It's two scriptures. The first one is found in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, himself, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So himself, he will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The other scripture which I know a lot of us know, it's found in Ephesians, because it was a warfare. It was a serious warfare. It's found in Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Just that. Again, talking about strength. And then the other is verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Friends, some of you know my journey and most of you held my hands up from the time that I had to start chemo, that whole process. I'm not going to name names because I'm going to start crying. I've had incredible women in this room literally hold my hands up. Literally. The other part of it which you weren't seeing is the ability to stand. To stand through with my children going in and out of school. Well, going to school and coming home and seeing mom at her weakest. 
and over and above that, add COVID. I didn't get COVID, but there was also that season where we were wearing masks and the world was as it was at that time. But God said to me, stand. Very hard, but I had to stand. I've done, I'll do this example. <laughs> I know it's going to look, but literally, I stood. I physically stood on his word. I know there were moments when I couldn't pray. I couldn't, thank you, Lord, for podcasts. Thank you, Lord, for GC devotionals. Thank you, Lord, that I could put on a podcast, even if I wasn't listening to it, but the word of God continually fed me, continually. I just kept the word alive, and I was able to stand. So I literally, I would stand. Vomiting, crying, I would stand. And I said, Lord, I am standing. And God said, Melindy, I am the big C. I am the big Christ. Cancer is the small C. It's a small C. Fix your eyes on me. So fast forward. Go through all the treatments. And finish my last treatment, end of Feb. And usually it's a celebration. Woohoo, you're done. But you know what? Your body is so worn out that the celebration is, yay, Lord, I'm done. <laughs> Let me go sleep. And um, I've lost my chain of thought. So come end of Feb, I'm done. And it is a small celebration, but your whole body is just so depleted that you actually don't feel like celebrating. And a friend of mine, Sharon, invites me. In fact, it wasn't even an invitation. She had invited, she wasn't inviting me, she was inviting my daughter. Um, there was a special service happening at uh, another church, Harvest. And so she wanted my daughter, um, their friends with her daughter, just to be together at Harvest. And I saw an opportunity just to go. I wasn't busy. And this was now in March, March, April. And I said, no, I'm coming with. And in that moment when we were at a harvest, praying and worshiping and just a beautiful moment of just connecting with Jesus, I hear the word, no surgery. Lord, what's going on? No surgery. So I continue worshiping and... But just to give you some context, so when we finished the chemo, I had to wait a couple of weeks before doing the PET scan. That will confirm, has the treatment worked? Are we to do anything more? Has the radiation worked? So you have to wait for a bit. So it was quite nerve-wracking waiting, but in that waiting, I'm at Harvest Church with my friend, knowing that the following week, I'm going to do the major scans that will now determine a yay or a nay. And on that Sunday, worshipping, I hear God say, no surgery. Because that was the next step. It's chemo, it's radiation, it's surgery. So I submitted to my friend, who I know is prophetic, loves the Lord, and I say, friend, you won't believe what I heard God say. In a moment of worship and glory, I heard God say, no surgery. And at that time, we were with 
Tanya Olufia. And so they're both like, Sharon's like, did he say you're not doing surgery? Or did he say, did he say you mustn't do it or that you're not going to do it? And I'm like, friend, I don't know. I just heard God say no surgery. Anyways, I go home. I have to submit this to my husband. Love, this is, this is what happened. And so he's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. And he leaves it at that. Following day, we go, I do all the scans. So it's the MRI, the PET scan, all the checks. And while I'm lying in the MRI scan, um, it's a process. You're not allowed to move. You must lie still. It's uncomfortable. It's quiet. You have no concept of time. It's just, yeah. The lady comes in. The doctor comes in and she says, you're moving. So we'd, I'd been there for what felt like quite a while. And she comes in and she says, you're moving. So we can't do your scans. I mean, we're not going to get good images. So stop moving. I say to her, I'm not moving. I actually want to get out of here. So I'm trying my best to stand still. And so she gets out and she says, we're going to have to start again. I'm like, oh, Lord. So start the process again. And um, she comes back in. What felt like ages, she comes back and she says, you're moving. I said, I promise you, I'm not moving. So she says, okay, I need to go get, um, I think she went to get the anesthetist or someone. I don't know. So she goes and she comes back in with another doctor. And they're like, we're going to inject you because your intestines are moving. I'm like, well, I can't help that. (laughs) So they inject me with whatever they inject me with just to calm me down, and they do the scans. And while I'm lying there, I just have this picture of Jesus standing next to my bed and just working in this area. And I just started worshiping, and I was just crying, and like just that picture to say, I've got you got you my daughter I'm here and I'm healing you I finish the scans I go home nervous and waiting following Wednesday so I did the scans Monday on the Wednesday I meet my oncologist before I could make it into her rooms she says Melindy I have got the best news ever and I'm like okay what's happened and eventually we go into her rooms and she says you've had a complete positive response. Glory. (laughs) So, very excited. And you say, so where's God's story in this? So this is what I'm asking me, myself now. Like, Lord, where's your story in this? Because I've gone through chemo, I've gone through radiation. Where's your story? Because I want to glorify you. I want the story to be about you. Forgetting what God has said about surgery. So my oncologist says the next step is that you are going to go for, go see your surgeon and we're going to start the process for surgery. Ah, that's where it is. I meet my next step surgeon and surgeon says, we're going to have to cut everything out. Everything. You're not going to have a rectum. Literally. I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, hmm, no surgery. This is what you meant, Lord. But very hard. I'm a mom, I've got three small children, and whatever decision that one makes, it's, it's life-changing. So I go home, I submit it to my husband again, love. This is where it is. He was working in Port Edwards, so certain days he was here and certain days not. And 
we start praying. God says, remember, I said, I'll restore you. I will strengthen you. I will establish you. And that scripture just kept mulling in my, just in my heart, continually. I shared with some friends and said, this is where I'm at. And went for a second consult. And Muslim doctor, God bless him. But he was like, I would have cut you out from day one. And I knew, he's like, I don't waste time with all the chemo. I would have just cut everything out. So I knew, no, that second opinion is not, it, it was just not godly. I went with my mother-in-law and she just started hoying questions. And this poor doctor got to a point and couldn't answer. And so she was like, have you had anyone come back? So my mother-in-law, Heather knows her, she's quite, like, have you had anyone come back? and tell you they've been healed. And this doctor's like, I don't know, it's not for me. And he's like, but why aren't you following up? You should follow up. <laughs> but not to digress. So we started praying. I had a period that it has to be done by, just because it can get complicated. And we just, and I had friends praying, and woke up one morning, and just being hit with the peace of God, saying, I asked you to stand. And so we stood decided not to have, well, didn't have the surgery. Very radical, very unconventional, very, but I was just hit with such a peace. And when I submitted it to some of my friends that I know are intercessors, I had, I had words, I had prophetic words, I had, I had people just speaking into my life around, not necessarily making the decision for me, but saying, I heard God say. I, I remembered prophetic words that I was given at the start, um, I remember Cam giving me a prophetic word. And all it needed was that I stand. So, as it is, I go every three months for a checkup. I call it evidence collection. I say, I'm going to get my evidence. I'm going to collect my evidence. And for every scan, and everything that I have done, it has been clear. And that is the expectation that I have from God our Father. Yes, there are certain things that I'm still walking through. But God restores. He establishes. He strengthens. And yes, my situation might be completely different to yours. But my encouragement to you this morning is that you stand. Stand. Amen.